Hi guys, welcome back to the English Vocabulary Help Podcast. My name is Kayla, I'm an American English teacher, and in today's English lesson, I will teach you 111 English phrases that are very advanced, and I think they're necessary idioms and phrases to know for your everyday conversations. All of the lessons in today's podcast are from previous lessons, but the best way to learn something is to have spaced repetition. So even if you've listened to some of these phrases from previous episodes, I would highly recommend that you listen to them again today and quiz yourself as you're listening as well. Do I know what this means? Does this match what Kayla's saying? Think that in your head as you're listening today. Before we get started with today's lesson, I just wanted to remind you that you can upgrade to native English conversation with my upgrade to native conversation course. It takes six weeks to complete. It's totally self-paced. You can find it on my website right now at englishwithkayla.com. I'll also leave a link to the course in the description of today's episode. Today's episode is a video episode besides just this introduction here. I'm recording it on my microphone, but then the rest is on video. And make sure to join my mailing list if you haven't already. I've been making PDFs almost every week now for my new lessons so that if you need to read along with the phrases or you want to save the phrases to remember later and study later, you can do that. And if you join the email list, then you'll just get them emailed to you every single week now when there's a new lesson. Let's get started with the video. Enjoy these 111 advanced English phrases. So I'm standing here by the stove because this first idiom is kind of from the stove. It's kind of a cooking idiom, but we use it quite frequently in just our everyday conversations. If you want to say that people need to just calm down or start to relax because they're, you know, so worked up and so hyper and full of energy, you can say that they need to simmer down. When you're cooking and you have something at a boil, and you need it to, you know, stop boiling, but still be hot, you say you need to simmer it, simmer it down. So when you want to tell people that they need to just relax, chill out, to say, hey, simmer down, please. Now, make sure you're using this in a casual spoken English conversation. One thing about cooking and learning how to cook well is there is a lot to it. Now that's the first phrase that I wanna teach you. When there's something that's very complicated and it requires a lot of knowledge and skill, you can say there's a lot to it. But if you want to say that things are not complicated and they're very simple to learn, you can say there's really nothing to it. So if something's hard, there's a lot to it. If it's easy, there's not a lot to it. For instance, cooking a huge, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner here in the United States with turkey, potatoes, stuffing, green beans, there's a lot to it. But if you're just making something simple like eggs for breakfast, there's nothing to it. So this next idiom, I think it's pretty creative and I think it's quite useful. You're in the oven because we're talking about something that is half baked. If you ate some food that was half baked, it would taste terrible. It's, it's not a good plan if you don't have enough time to cook the food. Now, if you have a half-baked idea or a half-baked plan, it means that you didn't put enough thought into your plan or your idea. One time, it was a Saturday in the middle of the winter, it was snowing, it was super cold, and I said, hey, let's, let's go to the indoor playground in town. Now, if you have kids, you might understand this. 
if you don't, I'm sorry, just listen up. If you have kids and you go somewhere when it's raining or cold inside to do something, it's going to be so busy and I have young kids. It was definitely a half-baked idea. So if you have a poor plan or poor idea, you can call it half-baked. Be careful with knives and this next idiom. If you want to say that someone should stop something that's very annoying, you can say, hey, cut it out. The phrase cut it out means stop it. It's kind of a rude and snarky way to say it, so be careful with it. If, you know, your husband or your wife or your boyfriend and girlfriend is doing something like, you know, they're making a noise that's annoying or they're trying to be annoying to you, say, hey, cut it out, stop it. It's a good phrase, keep it in mind. Okay, do you have a lot on your plate right now? This means that you have a lot of responsibilities if you have a lot on your plate. When I was in college, I just think of this time when I had so much on my plate, I was taking 18 credit hours, which is pretty much the most you can take, I had two jobs and I just felt like I had so many responsibilities. Now, looking back, I still have a lot on my plate. I have kids, I have work, I have a husband, I have a house, but it's more manageable because I've gotten older and wiser and I don't stress out when I have a lot on my plate. So I was going to go outside for this next idiom, but I'm being a baby because it's too cold out today and the idiom, is to grill someone. That, that's a grill, if you didn't know. And when you say, I'm going to grill someone or, you know, stop grilling him, it means that you're asking the person very intense questions. You're asking a lot of them as well. The classic example of someone getting grilled is if you bring home a new boyfriend to your family. Your parents will say, where are you from? What's your family like? You know, what do you do for work? They are grilling this new person that you brought into your house. If you want to say to someone that they're asking you a lot of questions and it's a bit intense, it's a bit too much, you can say, hey, stop grilling me. Have you guys heard of the metaverse? Well, Mark Zuckerberg, he spent so much money creating this metaverse, this virtual reality place where you can go, I guess. And no one really seems to like it, but... Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook meta, they double down on this idea. And that's the phrase that I wanna teach you. When you double down on something, it means that you put more effort and you risk more money and things like that because you think the idea is really going to pay off and it's really going to work. So a lot of times companies will double down on a product, if they think it's going to sell a lot, they'll put lots of money into advertising. And if you're in a casino, and you put more money on your bet, you can say, I'm doubling down on this. I think it's really going to pay off. I'm just gonna whip up some pancakes. Okay, that's the phrase. I'm not really making pancakes, but if you say you're going to whip up something, it means you're going to create it or make it very quickly. So you could say, hey, let's whip up a plan for our day. This means let's come up with a plan really quickly. We often use this idiom or cooking as well. If you say, hey, can you whip up some breakfast? Or could you whip up some dinner? This means, can you make it really quick? Can you just come up with some things to make? Usually when you're whipping up a plan or you're whipping up some food, you don't put a ton of thought 
or like a ton of effort into it. It's just very quick. We're back at the stove. We're talking about when things boil over. Oftentimes when we talk about history, we talk about the circumstances that led to the world wars. Things just boiled over. This means that people got so angry about things that they just got out of control. Recently, I don't know if you guys follow American football, but Tom Brady and his wife, Giselle, for all you Brazilians, they got divorced, sadly. But it seems like she was always very supportive of him and his football career. And he said he was going to retire. And when he didn't, things boiled over. I think she wanted Tom to spend more time with their family, but you know, things boiled over, they got out of control. And now, unfortunately, they got divorced. So when things boil over in a pot, you know, there's a mess, there's all this water and foam everywhere. It's out of control. I'm making a mess. Well, not really because I don't wanna mess up the kitchen, but let's talk about how you can use this phrase in your everyday conversations. If you want to say that someone made a mess, you can mean that they literally, you know, made a mess that you have to clean up. They made things very dirty. Or you can mean that they made a situation so bad, you know, maybe emotionally, or maybe they brought up a subject with a group of people that made everyone argue, could say, oh, you just made a mess of this situation. So you can use this phrase in a few different ways. A phrase that's pretty similar to making a mess of a situation is to stir the pot. So, you know, literally stirring the pot would be mixing up ingredients. But if you say that you're stirring the pot in a social situation, it means, you know, you're bringing up something very controversial. For example, if you have a holiday meal with your family and you bring up politics, that's going to stir the pot a little. That's going to make everyone, you know, kind of have their different opinions and feelings. And yeah, it just stirs up the pot and it stirs emotions. Both phrases mean the same thing. When life gives you lemons, what do you do? You make lemonade. Now this phrase I think is pretty common amongst everyone in the world, but it just means that if you have an opportunity, you need to make the most of it. So we say this all the time and sometimes we just shorten it in English as when life gives you lemons, you know, you don't have to say you make lemonade. You just say the first half of the idiom. So for instance, you know, if you have an opportunity, you should take it. You say when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Bye guys, I was just about to roll out. Okay, this phrase is very useful. In English, when you want to say that you're going to leave, you can say let's roll out. In the movie Transformers, the famous catchphrase of the robots, the Autobots, was Autobots, roll out. Let's all leave at the same time. So if you're at a party with your friends or some sort of event and you want to all leave at the same time, you should say, come on guys, let's roll out. This means let's all leave together. Finally, let's leave the kitchen because if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. This means if you don't want to be insulted by someone, you should not insult them or enter an argument with them. This idiom is super, you know, snarky. It gives a lot of attitude. It's pretty rude. 
If you say, hey, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen, that means I'm going to insult you if you try to argue with me or insult me. To go hard on someone or to go soft on someone. So I think of these phrases as talking about discipline, especially when it comes to being a parent to a child or a teacher to a child. When I was growing up, my mom was really hard on me when it came to school because she really wanted me to study and be the best student that I could be. Well, sometimes as a parent, I feel like I am soft on my kids. Just sometimes. This is the opposite of being hard on my kids. Maybe I let them stay up a little later or if they get in trouble, they don't get that big of a punishment. So when we say that someone is going soft on someone, it means that we're not really giving them a good punishment for what they've done and we're just being really nice to them, especially when we're talking about children. These next two idioms are really common when you want to say that someone is behaving in a way that is really mature. So if you take the high road, it means that you're not going to be very petty in an argument. Let me give you an example. So if somebody is having a party and they invite all of your friends, you share a lot of mutual friends, but they don't invite you, you kind of feel like that's a personal insult to you. But if you take the high road, you'll say, I really hope that you enjoyed your party. And this is mature behavior. Now, if you take the low road here, you might say, I hope your party was terrible. So that's not very mature. Even though your feelings were hurt and you feel kind of wronged, you're going to take the high road and you're going to act polite and kind. And if you take the low road, you are going to be just as low as them, just as impolite as they are. So I'm coming back to the example for these two idioms. When a child asks you, can I have a cookie? And you cave in, you'll say, oh yeah, you can have a cookie. You might have said earlier, like no more cookies, no more treats. But if you cave in, it means you go against what you said your decision was and you let the child have a cookie. Or the same sort of example, if you say, you have to go to bed at seven o'clock. It's, I'm going to be firm on my decision. And then the child says, please, can I stay up a little bit later and watch a movie? And you cave in, it means you let them stay up later. Now, the other idiom that I'm going to teach you here is to be firm on your decision. If you stand firm on your decision, it's the exact opposite of caving in. It means you're going to be very strong on what your opinion was or what you said was going to happen. So in this example, you could say, no, there are no more cookies. I am standing firm. Or you could say, no, your bedtime is seven o'clock. You must go to bed. I'm standing firm on that decision or I'm standing firm on the rule here. So this simile, to be happy as a clam, it's a very old expression, but I will say this one is still pretty common. I wouldn't overuse this because it is older, so it's used more in a joking way or you know a light, fun way. But if I say, wow, you look happy as a clam, that means you look very happy, very excited about whatever you're doing. Now, a good opposite phrase of being happy as a clam, if someone looks very sad or something very bad has happened to them, of course you want to be sensitive, but you could say, they are a sad sight to see. 
This idiom just means that they look very sad. You could say down in the dumps. And maybe they are disheveled, like they look like they haven't showered in many days, or maybe they're a sad sight to see because they haven't even gotten dressed for the day. They're still in their pajamas. That's how you would use this idiom if someone just looks like they're sad physically as well as mentally. If you work at a business where you have customers come in, like a restaurant or a store, and there are so many customers, you don't get one minute to even just think or one minute to, you know, just stand there and relax. You are completely swamped. So we say swamped with business. Think of this as if your customers are water. If you're swamped, you're like standing in water. You can't get out of the water. If you're swamped with business, you have so many customers that you can't even stop to think for a moment. Now, the opposite of being swamped idiom that I'm going to give you today is to be a couch potato. Be very sensitive and careful with this phrase because it's quite rude to say that someone is a couch potato. It's pretty much just saying they are lazy. In English, we usually only use this phrase in a self-deprecating manner. This means just to kind of make fun of ourselves. So I'll say, I was a complete couch potato last weekend. I didn't get out of bed at all and I watched Netflix and movies all day. I never get to do that because I have young kids, but I have been a couch potato before, especially on weekends after a long work week. In English, when you have a very grand, wonderful opportunity, maybe it's in your job, maybe you're going to get a raise and you're going to get a new manager position, or maybe you're about to go to school with a very large scholarship, we would call this a golden opportunity. When something is a golden opportunity, we say that you can't pass the opportunity up. You can't say no to the opportunity because it's just so good. So golden and opportunity, these words go together when it's a good opportunity. We say this very commonly. Now the opposite of having a golden opportunity at your job is to be in a dead end job. When you are in a dead end job, it means there is no opportunity to get promoted or even make more money within the job. Now you don't want to be in a dead end job, especially as you get older because you want to have more opportunities from the work that you're doing. If you describe your own job as a dead end job, you might say, I have such a dead end job, I really need to start applying for new jobs just so I can better myself and make more money. So if we talk about a golden opportunity, it's a great job. If we talk about a dead end job, it means there's no room to improve yourself or move up within the job. The most common way that English speakers say that they are very annoyed with something, and I mean extremely annoyed with something, we say that we are sick and tired of it. So maybe you've had this situation happen to you before. Maybe you have very loud neighbors and these neighbors are partying at night or they start partying in the morning or they start making lots of noise and their dog is barking in the morning. You might wake up from your neighbors being so loud and you might say, I am sick and tired of my neighbors being so loud. 
This just means I'm very annoyed. I'm so annoyed that it's kind of making me sick and tired. Not really, but you know, this is a very dramatic expression. If you are sick and tired of something happening, you are just unmotivated, you don't want it to happen, you're just done with it. The opposite of being sick and tired, I would say is chomping at the bit. When someone says they are chomping at the bit to do something, it means they're very eager and excited. When I post a new English lesson on YouTube, I am absolutely chomping at the bit to read the comments and to read what you guys thought of the lesson and what new phrases and words that you learn. And I always try to respond back to the comments on the same day that the video is posted, so make sure to leave me a comment if you're watching this video right now so I can respond and see what you thought of it. So if you want to say that you're very eager to do something, you could say, I'm chomping at the bit. And obviously this idiom comes from the idea that if you were holding food in front of an animal, they would be jumping up trying to bite the food, trying to eat the food. They're chomping just at the little bit you're giving them. So if you're chomping at the bit to start something, to do something, to read something, to watch something, it means you are so excited and eager to do it. This simile to be cool as a cucumber, it's quite common to say. Don't overuse this one again. I always say be careful with you know, these fun, playful similes because if you're in a serious situation, you don't wanna be saying I'm cool as a cucumber. But to your friends in a more fun and playful environment, because I'm cool as a cucumber. This just means you're very calm and you have no stress. Some of the greatest athletes in the world are just cool as a cucumber when they are playing their sport. They don't feel the pressure that is facing them or they don't feel pressure, they don't feel stress, they just play their game because they are so experienced, they can remain cool as a cucumber. This means just very calm and stress-free. The complete opposite of being cool as a cucumber is to say that you are wound up. If someone is wound up, it means they're very stressed out and they're talking fast and loud and they're freaking out. So if you say, wow, they're really wound up today, it means they're stressed out. They're maybe a little angry and agitated because of how stressed they are and they just cannot relax. I picture this idiom as, you know, one of those old fashioned wind up toys. When you wind up the gears, the toy starts moving really fast. If you call a person really wound up, it means that they have a lot of energy because they are so stressed out. So you can either be cool as a cucumber or wound up. So this lesson is all about everyday idioms. Now, of course, you need to be very careful, especially in America, when speaking about someone's intelligence. But you need to know these phrases because you'll definitely hear them and you may even need to use them at some point. If you want to say that someone is very smart, a really common idiom is they are just sharp as a tack. If you say someone is sharp, it means they're smart. So this simile, they're sharp as a tack, it's really common. Um, I had a great grandma. She lived to be about 94 years old. She was sharp as a tack until the day that she died. This just means like she never lost her memory or had any dimension or memory problems. She just remained really smart into her old age. She was sharp as a tack.
I don't know why I keep snapping for that. But the opposite of calling someone sharp as a tack and a very offensive phrase, so be careful with this, is to say that someone is just as dumb as a rock. Now, I'm not going to use a person for this example, but you might have seen a dog that just is stupid. I don't know how else to put it. Maybe this dog just keeps, you know, getting into trouble or the dog keeps just running away for no reason. It's just dumb as a rock. This simile is really common insulting way to say that someone or something is very stupid. They're as dumb as a rock. If you want to do something without really planning it and you're just trying to act like you know what you're doing but you really have no idea, you can just say, I'm totally winging it right now. When I sit down and I don't plan out what I'm going to say for my English lessons, I'm just totally winging it. And honestly, I never do that anymore because it never turns out very good. Now, the opposite of just winging something is to think it through. So when I think my lessons through, they turn out really good and they're very helpful for my students because I've planned them so thoroughly. Another way that we use this phrase, think it through, is if we say to someone, hey, do you really want to do this? I think you should think it through. This means think about what the results will be or what the effects will be of your actions or of your plan. So if you're not planning something and you're just doing it, you're weighing it, and if you think about it a lot and you have a really great plan, you are thinking it through. I really like these two next idioms. They are everyday idioms, but they're actually quite advanced. And I just think that they're just nice, colorful language that will help describe what you're trying to say. When you have an issue with someone or a problem with them and you want to discuss it with them, a really interesting phrase that we use in English is to say that we have a bone to pick with them. If you have a phrase in your language, let me know what it translates to in English in the comments. I'd love to hear about it because I just think this is such an interesting way to say that you have a problem that you want to discuss. So my mom would come up to me as a kid and be like, hey, I have a bone to pick with you. You need to stop throwing your dirty laundry on the floor. Something like that. My mom was very clean as I was growing up, so a lot of the bones that she had to pick with me were about cleaning, especially cleaning my room. If you want to say that you don't have an issue, that you're really agreeing with someone, you're almost thinking the exact same way, you can say, we are on the same wavelength. So to say that you're on the same wavelength as someone, it just means that you're thinking almost the exact same way. You're not even saying something, but like you're doing something at the same time because you're so similar. You could use this phrase in a more formal situation, especially in business. If you want to say like, we totally agree, we totally have the same ideas, we are on the same wavelength. Another great idiom to say that you're really just unstressed, you have not a lot of things that are bothering you, is to just say, I can't be bothered. If you want to say that someone was not stressing out about something and they really weren't putting much effort even into anything, you could say, well, she can't be bothered. This phrase is really common to use when you want to say that someone is just not stressed about something. 
It can actually be used in a negative way as well to say that someone just doesn't care about something. So you could say, Linda just, she can't be bothered. She doesn't really care if she turns in her work on time. So this is a negative way, but if you just say, oh, I just can't be bothered today, it just means like nothing can stress me out or worry me today. If someone is very stressed out and doing a ton of work at one time, you can say that they are just burning the candle at both ends. Now, if you're burning a candle, it's getting burnt out. We often say in English that someone is burnt out when they just have been working too much or doing too many things at one time. They're very tired. If you say someone's burning the candle at both ends, it means they're going to be burnt out very soon because they are working so hard. I picture this as they're working late into the night and waking up early and beginning work again. They're just, they're working so much, they're going to be tired. If someone is working very fast, a common way that we say that they're going at a fast speed is to say they're going a mile a minute. This is just a really common way to say they're working fast or you could say they're talking a mile a minute. Even though these measurements just don't really make sense in the sentence, they're talking a mile a minute. We use this phrase just to say that someone is doing something very fast. A really common phrase to say that someone or something is very slow is to say that something is slow as molasses. Of course, molasses is a type of sweetener. It's a sticky sugar. I don't, I don't really use molasses in my cooking, but yeah, it's just a very viscous material. It's very slow if you pour it out of a bottle. So if you say that someone is slow as molasses, it can be kind of rude. It's just saying that they're working slow or something is going very slowly. You have to wait. If you're impatient, you might say, wow, this is slow as molasses right now. A spitting image. A spitting image means that something is the exact double of someone else, or it could be a thing or a place as well. For instance, you could say to somebody that they are the spitting image of their father, or they are the spitting image of their uncle, or she's the spitting image of her mom. This means that they look exactly alike. Fed up. If you are fed up with somebody or something, it means you are annoyed at the way that they are treating you or you're just annoyed with the situation in general. If you go to an airport, you might get fed up with the security in the United States. It's a long line and you always have to take things out of your bag. It can be very annoying and sometimes you just get fed up. If you're fed up and you're tired of waiting, you might say, let's get this show on the road. When you say this phrase, let's get this show on the road, it means let's begin this activity or let's begin this event. Oftentimes, if there is somebody that's leading a meeting or if they're leading an event or they're at a concert and they wanna get everybody excited to get started, they'll say, let's get this show on the road. Maybe at the airport, if you are getting angry with the security agent, I suggest you be patient, but you could say, let's get the show on the road. Let's get going. Push your luck. If you push your luck, it means you think you're going to get lucky, so you're doing something that's a risk. It's not good to always push your luck. Oftentimes, criminals will push their luck and they'll keep robbing a store, meaning they're like a burglar and they're stealing things, and eventually they'll get caught because you can't rely on your luck and when you're doing 
things that are illegal, you're going to get caught. A tall order. If you go to Starbucks, the smallest size is called a tall. It's the strangest thing in my opinion. And this idiom has nothing to do with that really. I just wanted to add that into this lesson. A tall order means it's a difficult task. Something that is difficult to do can be called a tall order. If you've ever put a paper or an essay off until the night that it's due or the night before, it is a tall order to try to finish it in one day. A 2,000 word essay would be a tall order to finish in one evening, but I'm sure people have done it before. Brush up. So sometimes when you're learning a language, especially, I'm sure you can relate, you have mastered some vocabulary, but then you forgot to use it for a while, and you forgot it, you were so good at it before, but now you need to brush up on it. If you brush up on something, it means that you are studying or relearning a skill that you once knew very well. Personally, I have not played soccer since I was in high school many, many years ago. And so I've been trying to brush up on my soccer skills. I've been trying to practice and get better again. A very dramatic way to say that you are going to end something or stop it is to say you are going to put an end to it. Oftentimes in movies, they can say, I'm going to put an end to them. It means you're going to stop them or they're going to cease to exist. Putting an end to something means you're going to stop it. A good example for this one is if you're thinking about soccer again, there could be two teams playing and maybe they're playing in a playoff. So if one team wins, it will put an end to the other team's season. That will be the end for them. One team is putting an end to the other. When we think of stirring something, we think of cooking usually, but to stir up an emotion means to bring up an emotion or to remind someone of an emotion. Stirring up a crowd can also mean exciting a crowd or getting them very emotional. So we use this idiom, stir up with emotions. You could think about a person in the military watching the news and there is an image of war on the news that would stir up some pretty negative emotions. Since we're talking about emotions, let's talk about the idiom strike a chord. A chord is, you know, the sound that you make when you play several music notes together. So you can play chords on the guitar and you can play chords on the piano. I'm not very musically talented myself, but that's what a chord is. When we use this as an idiom, it means you're going to affect someone's emotion. And we don't always use this idiom in a negative way, but you could say that really struck a chord with me, meaning it brought up negative emotions. Or if you're trying to motivate people to do something, if you're trying to motivate people to be empathetic, for instance, seeing hungry children in the street could really strike a chord with people to become more generous. I have a few more very useful idioms to teach you today that have the word strike in them. So let's review them. The first one is to strike up a conversation. If you strike up a conversation, it just means you spontaneously start a conversation that's usually friendly in nature. So you can strike up a conversation with a stranger, or you can strike up a conversation with someone that you know, but you're not necessarily best friends with. Usually if you're trying to strike up a conversation, you're trying to talk to someone more casually, so you might say that you are going to strike up a conversation with your boss about a new policy or something, just so you can talk to them in a more casual, friendly way. You can also strike up a friendship. 
Usually when you strike up a friendship, it means that you are becoming friends with someone that you would not have expected to be friends with. So again, you can strike up a friendship with a stranger and they will no longer be a stranger. Or you could strike up a friendship with your coworker and they can be your work friend. I personally always love striking up new friendships in college with people in my classes because then you would have someone to study with and work on group projects with. This next idiom, keep in touch, is something that I am not very good at. I'm not very good at keeping in touch with people. If you keep in touch with someone, it means you keep in contact with them, you talk to them. So you can keep in touch with someone after moving away. If they move to a new city, they might say, keep in touch, and maybe you two will chat on Facebook or Instagram, or you'll exchange text messages and agree to meet up in the future. You guys are doing a good job of keeping in touch. When you go to school, you always try to keep in touch with your friends over the summer. A very natural way to say that you have fell or you're going to fall is to say you're going to take a spill or you took a spill. A spill just means a fall, but it means a pretty bad fall. So if the floor is slippery, you could take a spill like a drink and fall onto the floor. I'll link my podcast right here where I talk about a very bad spill that I took and I broke my arm. What tips do you have when it comes to kicking a habit? Now, obviously, this is not a literal kick. This is not like a soccer ball. To kick something means to get rid of it. So to kick a habit means to get rid of the habit, to stop doing it. Long ago, I was trying to kick the habit of biting my nails. And in order to kick this habit, I just had to start getting manicures. I had to pay for them because then I didn't want to bite my nails because I'd paid for a nice manicure. And if you're not familiar, a manicure is when someone else paints your fingernails and files them and takes care of them. When you kick a habit, you stop doing that habit or you stop doing that behavior. A really casual and natural way that you can say it's your turn to act in the situation is to say the ball is in your court. So I think of this as basketball, but I suppose this could be talking about tennis as well. The ball is in your court. It's your turn to act. After a job interview, usually send whoever interviewed you a thank you note. And then the ball is in their court. They have to respond to you and they have to either invite you to interview more or they have to offer you the job. It's their turn to act and they have to communicate. The ball is in their court. When you want to say that you know something very well, you know exactly how it works or you have memorized every part of it, you can say that you know it inside and out. If you are an excellent driver, you will know the rules of the road inside and out. That means you know them very well. If you tend to avoid something because you're nervous, you're shy, you're a little bit scared, it means that you are shying away from it. This idiom can be used in a positive or a negative way. So for instance, you could say the Kardashians, they never shy away from the paparazzi. This means they never avoid the paparazzi or the press, the people that are taking pictures of them. You can also say, I tend to shy away from sugary drinks. This means that you don't drink things like pop and juice because you're trying to have good health. This next saying is very similar to let's get this show on the road. The saying is let's get the ball rolling. 
Just like a ball starts rolling if you move it, if you want an activity to start, you can say, let's get the ball rolling, let's start motion, let's start some movement. Whenever I am hungry and it's time for dinner, I tell myself, let's get the ball rolling, let's start making dinner. Because sometimes it's hard to get up and start cooking when you're hungry. Have you ever had to throw in the towel when something is just too difficult? Throwing in the towel means that you are quitting a difficult task or you're being defeated. Oftentimes, if fighters are very beat up in a fight, like a boxing or an MMA fight, their team will throw in the towel. This means that they quit, they are just too defeated and too injured to keep fighting. You can make someone's day by giving them a very genuine and very nice compliment. The idiom make my day or to make my day means that you are making someone's day very good by your actions or your words. So this idiom implies that someone's day would be very boring and by doing something kind for them, you have made their day better or made their day exciting. You can even change this idiom to say, you have made my week. This means this is the best part of my week or you have made my year. Or if you are very dramatic or very excited about something, you can say, you have made my life. That would be something very exciting or something very awesome. Sometimes in life, we have those people that we think are infallible. They can make no mistakes and we tend to put them on a pedestal. This idiom on a pedestal means that something to us is perfect or if someone else is talking about a person or a thing like it is the best and it can do no wrong in life, they are putting it on a pedestal. Sometimes we put celebrities or politicians on a pedestal and we think that they cannot make mistakes, but the truth is they are people like us too and they make mistakes all the time. So it's never good to put something on a pedestal. This next idiom is definitely a sports idiom. I believe it comes from track when you are running a race. They usually shoot a gun in the air, of course without a bullet, and you hear that sound and then you start running. Now, if you run before that sound, you are jumping the gun. In life, if you start something before the appropriate time, you are jumping the gun. I know people that jump the gun and start putting up Christmas decorations in October. Do you know anyone like this? This is totally jumping the gun in my opinion. This next idiom, it's a small world, can also sometimes just be shortened to small world. When you say small world or it's a small world, it means that we are very connected in this world. And even though it seems like there's so many people on the earth, we're very closely related. So for instance, if you go on vacation into another country and you saw your neighbor on that vacation, they just happen to be in the same place at the same time, you can say, wow, small world, what are the chances that we both happen to be here? And oftentimes, if you are traveling in a different country and you meet someone and you get into a conversation and they say, oh, I know a person by this name, and you go, that person, that's my brother. You can say, wow, small world that you happen to know my brother, even though you are from a different country. And I truly believe it is a small world. We are so connected, especially by the internet today. Do you eat, sleep, and breathe English? I hope so, if you're studying with me. 
If you eat, sleep, and breathe something, it means you spend an incredible amount of energy on something. This idiom is just a way to emphasize that a person really has a passion about something or they're very interested in something like a hobby or a skill. An artist might eat, sleep, and breathe painting. They are just so passionate about it that it takes up their whole life. If you are too slow to take advantage of an opportunity, it means you have missed the boat. This idiom is talking about missing an imaginary boat. It's like you showed up too late to get on the boat and the boat has already left. Another way to say this idiom is to say the ship has sailed. This means that whatever the opportunity was has gone away just like a boat will sail away from you. You might hear someone who is interested in investing say, I missed the boat on investing in Bitcoin many years ago, or I missed the boat on investing in Apple when it was worth much less, something like that. This means that you missed a very good opportunity. And for your opportunity, the ship has sailed. Sometimes if you're a hard worker and you have to work very late into the night, someone might tell you you are burning the midnight oil. Usually if you're reading, studying, or just doing any sort of work, long into the nighttime hours because you work so much, we describe that as burning the midnight oil. You can think about this idiom like you have a lamp on, an old-fashioned lamp that burns oil. You're burning that past midnight. Oftentimes, students in universities will burn the midnight oil a week leading up to the test because they're just trying to get a good grade in the class. An interesting idiom is to pick someone's brain. If you pick someone's brain, it puts an interesting image in my head. It really just means that you're asking someone a lot of different questions in order to learn some information about something. So if you are trying to learn about English idioms, you could say to me, can I pick your brain about a few different English phrases? This just means, can I ask you a lot of questions since you're knowledgeable on this topic? So if you need to ask someone who is very knowledgeable about something a lot of questions, you can say, can I pick your brain? And they would know this means that you're going to ask them many questions to try to learn some new information. If it's your first time meeting someone and the meeting hasn't gone very well and it actually feels like there is some negative feelings towards one another, you can stop the conversation and you can say, I'm sorry, I feel like we've gotten off on the wrong foot. To get off on the wrong foot means there were some circumstances that made a meeting negative if you meet someone for the first time, but usually you say this phrase if you want to kind of start over and you want to have a more positive attitude with another person and you want to be friends in a way. Usually when we use this phrase, we say, I'm sorry that we got off on the wrong foot. And you can think of this phrase as if you were dancing with another person and you started on the wrong foot. It's like that, but you started your conversation in the wrong way, and you're going to try to start over so that you guys can be friends. It feels like in the last couple years, when you make plans, they can really be up in the air due to the pandemic. When things are up in the air, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen, and we don't have a solid plan of what we're doing. It's kind of like things are unresolved. Oftentimes when people say, 
what are you doing this weekend? I might say, my plans are up in the air. I'm not really sure. I'm deciding between two things. It's up in the air. If it's up in the air, it means there's no plan and it's unresolved. This idiom with a grain of salt is very important because oftentimes people give this as a disclaimer when they are sharing their opinion about something. For example, they could say something like, the color red is very out of style right now, but take that with a grain of salt because I don't stay very updated on the trends. They are giving a disclaimer with this phrase, a grain of salt. A grain of salt is very small, so they're saying my opinion is not worth much, it's worth a very small amount. And I have red nails today, so I think that's what I was thinking of with this example. Oftentimes when you're tired and you've had a long day, you really just need to zone out. When you zone out, it's like your brain is in a different zone. It's out of your head. Zone out means you're thinking of nothing and you're not really being productive, but sometimes it's important to zone out. It can be bad when kids are watching TV and they're just zoning out. They're not actually thinking or reading or doing anything that's going to help them learn. They're just zoning out. So when you're zoning out, it's like your brain is completely blank. If you have a trait or a characteristic that is really common in your family, maybe your mother has it and your grandmother has it, and all of her sisters have it, and all of your sisters and brothers have it, you can say, it runs in the family. This phrase, run in the family, or runs in the family, means that there is a trait or a characteristic that comes from your genetics. And sometimes it can be like, stubbornness runs in my family. This means that everyone in your family seems to be stubborn, so much so that it seems like it's genetic. Or you can just say something simple like, brown eyes run in my family. That means a lot of people in your family have brown eyes, so it must be genetic. If you are a very sympathetic person, you're very good at listening, especially in sad situations, you are a good shoulder to cry on. So this idiom in my head could be literal. Someone could be leaning on your shoulder and crying in a sad situation, but oftentimes we use this just to say, to someone that if they need someone to talk to and to share their feelings and their sadness with, that you can be a shoulder to cry on. So after someone has a death in their family, you could say to them, if you need a shoulder to cry on, you can always call me. If you want to make peace with someone, you can say that you are going to bury the hatchet. The hatchet is a weapon, so by burying it underground, it would mean that you are no longer going to fight. Of course, this is a very figurative idiom. There's no real hatchet. But if you're just going to say that you're going to stop arguing and you're going to put your problems aside, you could say, let's bury the hatchet. This is an excellent way to just say, let's stop our argument. Let's end our feud. The opposite of burying a hatchet is to burn bridges. Again, this is very figurative language. So if you burn a bridge, you would no longer be able to cross it. If you burn a bridge in a relationship, it means you are no longer able to call that friend or that colleague to ask them for advice or to be friendly. You are having such a bad argument and you are saying maybe such offensive things that you are burning the bridge. It is never a good idea to burn bridges because you never know in life who you will need to ask for help. Instead of saying that you are sick in English, 
If you want to just generally say that you are not feeling well, you might have a cold or just a simple flu, you can say, I am under the weather. If you want to say that you just are feeling a little bit off and a little bit sick, you will often say, I am a bit under the weather today. If you are recovering from an illness and you're just starting to feel better, you can say, I am a bit under the weather still. In a conversation, sometimes you will lose focus on the main problem or the main idea that you're talking about and you get a bit off track. When we talk about being off track in a conversation, it means that we are digressing. It means we're not talking about what we're supposed to be. We've started talking about a completely different topic and we need to get back on the track. Just like a train would run on tracks, if it got off the tracks, it would be very bad. And this actually creates another idiom, off the rails. If someone or something is off the rails, it means they are talking about things that don't make sense or they're a little bit crazy and a little bit out there. Because if a train gets off the tracks or off the rails, it's very bad and it's very chaotic. So maybe next time you're in a meeting and someone starts talking about something they did with their boyfriend or their girlfriend the night before and it's not related to the main topic at all, you can say, you are so off track right now or can you get on the rails? You got totally off the rails just now. That is just a really natural way to say, let's get back on topic. We were so off topic before. Be careful with this next idiom. If someone is angry about something and you think they have a bad attitude about it, you can say they are bent out of shape. So I think of this idiom like a paperclip. If you take a paperclip and bend it, it's out of shape. You can say, why are you so bent out of shape about this? This means, why do you have such a bad attitude about it? If you describe something as a date with destiny, it is like destiny or your future or what you're supposed to be doing as a person and you are going on a date with them. You are in love. A date with destiny usually is a positive thing. It means that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you can describe something as a date with destiny. If you are an English learner and you're planning on working with American English speakers, you need to know these 20 idioms that will help you understand English speakers and they will also be great if you can add them to your vocabulary because you'll sound like a natural English speaker. Let's get started with 20 workplace idioms that you can use in your daily English conversations. You'll hear Americans say, let's get you up to speed. This idiom, up to speed, it means that they will give you information that will help you be with the rest of the company or the rest of the team that you're working with. So if you are in sales, maybe they'll educate you on a product, or if you work more with technology, they'll let you know what they've been working on and the progress that they made. They'll get you up to speed. This is the natural way to say that they'll teach you what you need to know. This next phrase is really used in American corporations. They'll say that they have something in the pipeline. If they have something in the pipeline, it means that they have something that's going to come up soon. So if there is a project that's in the pipeline, it means it's not finished or complete yet, but it's, it's getting there. It's being worked on as we speak right now. So instead of saying that we have something coming up or we have something that we're working on, 
American speakers will say, we have something in the pipeline. And I like to think of this phrase like an oil pipeline, like it's moving along. This phrase is used in quite the opposite way. If we're going to stop something or quit something in the workplace, we'll say we're going to pull the plug on it. So instead of saying we are going to stop the project, maybe there's a project in your company that's losing a lot of money, we'll just say we're going to pull the plug on that. It's quite a harsh phrase to say you're going to pull the plug on something. It literally means you're going to stop giving it power. So if you hear an American say that we're going to pull the plug on something, it means we're going to stop it, we're going to quit it, we're going to stop putting energy into it. I always like to say that when you are at a new job, you feel kind of nervous at first. You really feel like you don't know exactly what you're doing. But after a while, you will get the hang of it. This idiom is the most common way that I hear speakers say that you will get the skills needed to be good at something. So maybe speaking English at first was difficult for you, but you're really getting the hang of it. This just means that you're getting the skills developed. You're getting good at something. When I hear Americans in the workplace say that they have described something enough and they think that you understand it because they've been talking about it for long enough, they'll just say, and you get the picture. So if you tell someone that they get the picture, it means they understand it enough. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because you get the picture. This is probably used more often on the phone than it is face to face because on the phone, oftentimes you want to be brief. You don't want to have a big, long conversation. So you'll describe something just enough for someone to get the picture. This is a useful phrase to know because it's kind of confusing to English learners. The phrase is brownie points. So if you get brownie points for something, it means you did something good and you're not going to get a real reward for it or you're not going to get more money, a raise in your salary for it. People will just think that you did good. You'll get brownie points for it. So maybe you're very early on a deadline. You did a task for work very quickly, quicker than what was expected of you. And your boss says, great job. You can say, yep, I got brownie points for that one. This just means that you got kudos or you got your boss, him or her, to say good job, but you're not getting anything official for the good thing that you did. It's just brownie points. So when we say brownie points, it's an unofficial award for you. When you're working, do you stop right at the time that you are required to work to, or do you burn the midnight oil? This phrase, to burn the midnight oil, it means that you work so late, it's like you have to burn extra oil to keep the lights on. Obviously, we don't literally burn oil in our homes or in our workplaces to keep lights on, but this is an old phrase that's used commonly to say that someone works very late. Or if you've been working very late, Recently, you can say, I've really been burning the midnight oil lately. This just means I've been putting in extra hours at work. This next phrase can be said in two ways to mean two different things. You can tell someone that they are on the hook for something. This means that they are accountable to do it. Or if they make a mistake, let's say they send the wrong number in an email, you can say you're on the hook for that mistake. Or if you want to tell someone that they are not accountable 
or they are not in charge of that mistake, you can say you're off the hook for that one. That kind of means that you forgive them and that you're not too bothered by their mistake. You're not going to hold it against them. You're not going to tell them that their mistake was really bad. You can say that you're off the hook for that one. This next phrase can be used for bargaining or it can just be in general if you're trying to compromise with someone. So if you are bargaining with someone, let's say they offer you $100 and you want them to pay $200. You can say, can you meet me halfway at $150? If you are working with a coworker, you could say, hey, could you meet me halfway on this one and help me out with it? So it's like, I'm going to help you, but I need you to do a little bit of work. If you tell someone that you need them to meet you halfway, it's like you need them to give you a little bit of something so that you can return a favor or you can you know, give them a deal on a product or whatever you're selling to them. This phrase, meet halfway, is just like compromising. If someone gives you a really bad deal, so maybe they give you a terrible price or a terrible product and they talked about it like you were getting a good deal or a very good product, you can use this phrase, be careful with it, because it could be a tad bit insulting to say that they gave you something bad. You can say that you were sold a bill of goods. This actually sounds like it wouldn't be a bad thing, but it literally means that you were given crap. So you never want to sell someone a bill of goods and you never want to be sold a bill of goods. That means that you got a bad deal or a bad product. If you want to ask someone to be in their schedule and you know they don't have a lot of time, you just need a short meeting, you can ask them to pencil you in. This means if you have a short amount of time, it's like you're writing, you know, your meeting on their calendar very small. You're asking them to pencil you in. This is not a literal phrase, it's figurative. So that just means that can you squeeze in a short meeting in your busy schedule? And oftentimes if we say, can you pencil me in? you're asking very last minute. You're asking very late for a meeting. You didn't schedule it in advance, so you need them to pencil you in. If you need someone to do some math and you need them to figure out the price of something or you need them to figure out how much money is owed and there's lots of different things that are involved in the calculation, Americans will say that they need to crunch the numbers. So you can say, how much is that going to cost? And the person will say, well, I really need to crunch the numbers. Then I can come up with a price. So to crunch numbers means to add, subtract, multiply, divide, whatever the calculation requires. And it's used a lot in math too, informally to say, let's figure out the equation. Let's crunch the numbers. This next phrase is super common to see when you are applying for a job. Oftentimes they'll be asking for self-starters. If you describe yourself as a self-starter, this is the same as saying a self-motivator. You don't need a lot of help to figure out how to do a job. If you say, I'm, I'm really a self-starter, it means I'm really motivated. I don't need somebody to help me all day. I can figure out what I need to do and I'll do it successfully. So if you're in a job interview, definitely describe yourself as a self-starter because it's a very positive attribute. Here's another idiom that's really frequently used in business. The phrase is to move the goalposts. 
So this is definitely a sports idiom. It's like in football, there are two goalposts, or also in soccer, there are two goalposts, and the ball must go through them to score. So in this idiom, whatever the requirement is in business, let's say you have a sales goal, if you reach that goal and then someone says, actually, I need you to sell more to be successful, you can say you're really moving the goalposts on me. It's like they moved the goal so you didn't actually score. You can describe someone or something as a cash cow if it makes you a lot of money. And I would say this is not really a rude phrase, although typically you don't want to call someone a cow in English because it means you're calling them fat usually, but if you say something is a cash cow, like this product I'm selling is really a cash cow, it just means it's made you a lot of money. Or my top salesperson at the company is a cash cow. It means they made a lot of money for you. If you want to ask if information is the latest information, you'll definitely want to say, is this up to date? Does it have all the information for every day leading up to today? So don't say, is this the latest information? Try to say, is this up to date? If you are in a meeting, informally people will just say, do you want to take five? This just means, do you want to take a short break? People will not often say, do you want to take a five minute break? They'll say, do you want to take five? And there's even a candy bar named take five. And this just refers to taking a nice little five minute break. Instead of saying that you need to find some business, you need to find some customers, or you need to find some sales, you'll hear American English speakers say, let's drum up some business let's drum up some customers, or let's drum up some sales. This phrase, to drum up, it means to find. If you're drumming up something, you're, you're bringing it up and you're finding it. It's a very strange phrase to use, but it just means that you have to go look for something, and it's used quite commonly. The most natural idiom to use to say that you need to ask someone that's very knowledgeable some questions is to say that you need to pick their brain. This is a funny phrase, and I know that other languages have phrases just like this one that are very strange, but they just mean to ask someone who's very knowledgeable on a subject some questions. So oftentimes, students that are studying English will say, hey, can I pick your brain about this phrase? And I'll say, yeah, what do you need help with? Ask me questions. Finally, when you are reaching the end of a workday or the end of a meeting and someone wants to say that we don't have much time left, that's kind of a mouthful. So usually people will just say, we are running short on time. And if we're not short on time, if we have enough time, you can say, we are okay on time. So people either say we're short on time, which means we don't have enough of it, we're running short, or they can say, we are okay on time, or we're good on time. This means that we have more than enough time or just enough time to get done what we need to get done in the workday or the meeting. So are you open to change or are you set in your ways? If you are set in your ways, it means you have a really hard time changing the way that you do things. So someone who is not open-minded and doesn't wanna change the way they think, the actions that they do, you can really say that they are just set in their ways. Sometimes I think really strong people are set in their ways. They have come to conclusions in life and 
they stand by their morals and they stand by their beliefs but sometimes it's not good to be set in your ways because you could be missing out on things that are better thoughts that are more progressive or ways of doing things that are more efficient. Sometimes it's just not good to be set in your ways. Have you ever had something that you thought was just the best? Like maybe you thought they were the best actor or actress in a movie. Maybe you thought it was the best food you've ever had or the best restaurant you've ever been to. Well, if you think that nothing else can compare to it, you can say it does not hold a candle to it. So maybe you're a really big Iron Man fan and you think Robert Downey Jr. is an awesome actor. Well, you could say nobody holds a candle to Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man. Some people in the United States are totally obsessed with Starbucks for coffee. I personally think it's overrated, but some people say that nothing holds a candle to it. It's just the best. Hopefully, as I'm filming this outside today, it's not too windy, it's not too breezy. Which brings me to my next idiom that kind of has to do with it. If you are shooting the breeze, it means you're having basically a conversation that's not that important. Maybe you're just catching up or maybe you're having small talk. You can say we're just shooting the breeze or you can say I was just going to shoot the breeze. That means you're just going to have a quick conversation that's not too important. It's not too deep, you're just catching up as friends if you are shooting the breeze. This next idiom that I'm thinking of is not really exclusive to English. I think it's, you know, across a lot of different cultures. So I'm just going to remind you of it because I think it's a really good way to say that you have been in your lowest point in your life and you are rising back up and becoming successful again. The idiom is to rise from the ashes. So when I explain this idiom, I literally think of somebody having their house burned down. It would be a terrible disaster. It would be horrible. You would lose all your things. But if you work hard and you build a new house and you save up money to replace all your possessions, you've literally risen from the ashes. You rose from the ashes. So if you want to say that someone has come out of a bad situation, in a successful way, you can say they rose from the ashes. If you've ever had to tell someone a secret or something that you didn't yet want everyone to know, you can always tell them to mums the word. You could say something like, I am getting a new promotion at work, but mums the word, we haven't told everyone yet. This means keep it a secret until I get a chance to make the news public. So when I want someone to keep something secret, and not reveal it at the moment, I always go as in zip your lips and mums the word. So I have been waiting to walk by a tree and explain this idiom. There's a tree and the tree has limbs and the limbs are just the branches that stick out of the tree. As a child I definitely climb trees all the time but I would never go out on the limbs. I didn't want to take risk. I didn't want to fall and break my arm, as many children do. The idiom here is to go out on a limb. If you go out on a limb, you are risking something. You are being unsupported and you're doing something that could potentially cost you. It could potentially be risky. Oftentimes in English conversation, you hear people say, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. This means you're just going to guess and you're not sure of what you're saying. 
really can describe someone's actions too as going out on a limb when they have done something and they're not sure if they're going to be successful at it or if they'll have a positive outcome. Maybe they're going out on a limb applying for a job because they might not be exactly qualified for the job, but they're just gonna go out on a limb and apply for it. A good idiom that spurs from sports is a game time decision. You can describe a decision that you have to make in the moment as a game time decision. So picture a soccer team or football if you live anywhere else besides the United States. They have 11 starting players and maybe one person is kind of injured and they're not sure if they're going to be able to start the game. So you could say that they will be a game time decision. This means that at the time of the game, when the game starts, that's when they get to make the decision whether they'll play or not play, depending on how their injury feels. If you have to make a game time decision in your life, it means you have to make a decision in the moment, even if you weren't prepared to make that decision and you didn't get to research the decision. I use this expression more casually. Let's say I'm going to a wedding and a week before someone says, what are you going to wear to the wedding? I could just respond by saying, I haven't really thought about it. I don't know, I'll just pick something from my closet. It will be a game time decision. As if the wedding was a game and I'll be making a decision in the moment. If you go out to your porch, your balcony, your deck, your backyard, and you hang up your laundry on a line to dry, usually it's clean laundry. If you were to hang up your dirty laundry, it could be a little bit embarrassing. So to air out your dirty laundry means to tell things to people that are shameful and that you want to keep secret because they could be embarrassing. Sometimes people have things in their family that they don't really want to tell to everyone. It's a secret to the family. You could say, let's not air out the family's dirty laundry. This means don't tell everyone our secrets that could be potentially embarrassing or we don't want others to know. Most people in the United States just actually use a dryer, like a machine to dry their laundry, but you guys get the idiom. Have you ever met someone that just, they always know what the trend is going to be before it even happens? They are really ahead of the curve. So to be ahead of the curve means to be fast to do something or if something is a really progressive idea, for instance, women's rights, and you know, there's many countries and societies that already had women's rights before the United States even. They were really ahead of the curve or they were really ahead of the trend. So if you're just progressive and you start doing progressive ideas before everyone else, you can say you're ahead of the curve. You could say my country's really ahead of the curve or even just dressing. Like, if you already know what the trend is going to be in the way you dress, you're ahead of the curve. People always think of Apple as being ahead of the curve on technology. So they'll do things in their smartphones, like the iPhone, before other companies think to do them. So maybe their camera's way nicer, they're ahead of the curve on that one. Or Apple Pay, in my opinion, is ahead of the curve. Sometimes instead of saying ahead of the curve, I say ahead of the game. 
This just means that you've had a head start. You're doing something very early before it's popular. So speaking of Apple and speaking of iPhones, have you guys ever noticed that everyone has an iPhone? Apple has made a killing on iPhones. To make a killing means to make a lot of money and to sell a lot of something. So like I said, Apple has totally made a killing off of iPhones. So sometimes we call a barbecue a grill. The actual machine that cooks our meat outside, we usually say it's a grill or that we're grilling. Sometimes we call our mouth a grill as well. And also the front of the car is called a grill. I think because they resemble the actual metal of a barbecue grill and your teeth are kind of like, you know, the grates of a grill, I think. So my next idiom for you is up in your grill. When someone is just way too close for you, they're in your personal space, they're up in your face, you can say, why are you up in my grill? Or if you're going to get close to someone, you could say, I'm going to get up in your grill. This expression is usually pretty negative. It's really used to say that someone is way too close to you and way too close for your personal preferences to your face, especially during the panoramic. 